welcome to the program everybody you just stepped inside of psychotic bump school the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul my name is dj rome and i want to welcome you to another exciting edition of psychotic bump school so ladies and gentlemen tonight oh we have an amazingly full show as we often often do so much happening around the country and around the world we're going to get to it all we have some very special guests coming in tonight we have a brand new guest that's never been here before and of course we have an incredible news update so stay tuned for that returning this evening we're going to have our good sisters janine coveney and juliana j bowden they're going to be helping me talk to the good brother mr singer songwriter kipper jones that's right kipper jones is the singing songwriting sensation who wrote brandy's first hit i want to be down among others including best friend and other major major hits off that very first album that launched brandy norwood into the stratosphere of superstardom and that was coming on the heels of his songwriting tenure with vanessa williams former miss america where he wrote her first hit album kipper jones is here to talk about the beyonce and Khalees feud that was going on a couple weeks ago we had a chance to sit down with kipper jones a couple weeks ago so i'm gonna have a chance to play a little of that for you this evening we're gonna have the good brother mr a scott galloway rejoining us this evening we just lost a singing songwriting legend Lamont Dozier. He was famous for writing some illustrious hits for Motown including You Can't Hurry Love, um, How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You, uh, Reach Out I'll Be There. Oh my god he's written, co-written I should say, some of the most iconic songs in all of music history. Lamont Dozier just recently passed away. Mr. A. Scott Galloway, of course, is going to help us pay tribute to the good brother, Mr. Lamont Dozier. So that's our lineup. So you might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWG, the truth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more because you know what? It's time for another rant. <laughs> oh, yes, y'all. What an eventful last few days we have had. Oh, my God. It's amazing how quickly the news cycle can turn. And so if I miss a week, ladies and gentlemen, it's not because I want to. Let me tell you, it is a challenge to keep up with everything that's been happening. Have y'all been seeing this? I mean, what should be the top of mind are all the things the Democrats are doing to help the country. The Senate Inflation Reduction Act passed within the last several days. They passed the CHIPS Plus bill. There was a major uh, terrorist that was a sidekick to Osama bin Laden. His name was Zawahiri. There was a mission that took him out in the last few days. Uh, the PACT Act passed. Okay, that was the act for veterans that was initially denied by uh, Senate Republicans and uh, comedian John Stewart got involved and added his voice to the argument and eventually there was some uh, compromise to, to put it bluntly or I should say pressure and the burn pits act passed. Okay, there's been a lot of job creation in the last few days. There's a 50 year low in unemployment 50 year low gas prices continue to drop. Now, I know some people can't tell or they're not really noticing, but gas prices have actually dropped at least somewhere between 60 and 70 cents in the last month or so. Uh, there's been an expansion of NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, and Joe Biden has allowed uh, two new countries to enter into the NATO agreement. 
okay? And then they passed an executive action order for the protection of reproductive rights. So it's been a very, very busy week in the Biden administration. We should be talking about those things. So I want to highlight that at the top. I'm going to be talking about some house races coming up. I want to be talking about things in education. But what we're talking about instead of this, that's why I wanted to leave with this. But what we're talking about instead of this, all this good news, all this positive developments in uh, uh, the Democratic administration of Joe Biden, we're talking about the former guy, okay? At the top of this past week, Merrick Garland, Merrick Garland, Attorney General, approved a search warrant for agents to go into Donald Trump's complex called Mar-a-Lago in Florida, and they were in search of some documents, and they were apparently related to some nuclear code information. The Trump camp keeps claiming that all they had to do was ask. Uh, they did this warrant or exercised this warrant uh, while Trump was not there. He called it a raid. Uh, everybody in the Republican MAGA sphere has called this and referred to it as a raid. It wasn't a raid. They had a legally obtained search warrant. They executed the search warrant. They entered the facility and complex peacefully while his attorneys were there. It's not like it was a sneak attack like what would happen in, uh, in Louisville, Kentucky a few years ago with Breonna Taylor. We're going to be talking about that in a second, too. But it, it was nothing like that, okay? This is the big news, is that the former guy is now under investigation for possible espionage, okay? Espionage, the fact that he uh, possibly may be suspected of selling secrets to uh, other people. Why do you have this information, former guy? Why? And then what his defenders and... Uh, enablers are talking about on all their respective networks is that he had the right to declassify anything. And so they say he could pretty much just stand over any document and determine that it's been declassified. But does that, okay, to, to any rational thinking person, does that even make remote sense? Even if you don't even know anything about politics, okay? Knowing that somebody is the leader of the most powerful country in the world, that they could just literally just stand over a document that is, uh, <laughs> I can't even get it out. I mean, does that even make sense? They're saying that even now he has the, the ability to exert some kind of executive privilege over these documents and that he has a right to them. And to further entrench their, 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 their argument in this, this, this craziness, they're saying Barack Obama removed 33 million documents from the White House, okay? Now, again, Knowing that Barack Obama is a former constitutional law professor, and by the way, he didn't call him Barack Obama, he called him Barack Hussein Obama. I'm talking about Trump. I mean, he's trying to shed light on the fact that uh, the brother has an African name or whatever, and so to highlight the fact that uh, he must otherize him or continue to demonize him. Uh, after all, Trump is the original birther, you know, so his whole claim, his whole thing right now is predicated on him discrediting the only African-American president the United States has ever duly elected, twice I might add, and you only got one term, but we're not talking about that right now. But Barack Obama did not simply remove 33 million documents and declassify them summarily, okay? He went through the process, and it's a process that takes months. Eventually, Barack Obama will have a, a National Archive library, just like many former presidents do. But because the Trump administration is so uh, vehemently opposed to doing anything by the book, anything that has set precedent 
that precedes it, they don't want to follow that. They don't want to follow any rules. They want to make it up as they go, break every rule, and then get mad when people try to hold them accountable. And notice I said try to hold them accountable because Trump, according to his niece, Mary Trump, he ain't ever been held accountable for anything. And he thought somebody like Merrick Garland, according to Mary Trump, she was saying that she didn't think she thinks her uncle Donald did not expect Merrick Garland to to crack that whip like that. But he said, no, man, I authorize this. He came out and made a statement. It's not rare that Merrick Garland comes out and make a statement about anything. He said, fool, I authorize. I did this to you. <laughs> he was kind of like uh, Ron Isley and that, uh, 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 you know, I don't even know if I should say uh, R. Kelly's name. But in that Mr. Biggs video where he said, fool, I did this to you. Yeah, Garland came out and said to Trump, fool, yeah, I did this to you. What? What? And so now... Uh, Republicans have been real quiet about that. And of course, the first thing they want to talk about in defense of Trump, you know, I mean, again, espionage, y'all. He's in he's under investigation for espionage. They are so deep up in this dude. It's crazy. They refuse to let this guy go. Utter hypocrisy. And people are just tired of it. They're fed up. They're fed up with the silliness because people actually say, yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of Trump, but, you know, he's in, he's entitled to uh, due process or this shouldn't be happening. If the DOJ and the FBI can do this to him, they could do it to you. Well, no. If you don't steal documents that don't belong to you, they're not going to mess with you. OK, see, see the games that they play. It's they don't really want to acknowledge the wrongdoing that this guy engages in. And it's incredibly dangerous because it gives credence to things that should not ever be considered or brought into the discourse. And so they need to be summarily dismissed. OK, he don't need no fair treatment. Was it fair for him to do what he did? Was it fair to him to subject the country to this breach in national security? OK, the potential breach was there because he so sloppily handles things. He's a sloppy <laughs> executive and they want to give him the benefit of the doubt that that was gone a long time ago okay and we're not even talking about january 6 he he has no credibility there's no excuse for defending this nonsense there's he doesn't deserve the benefit of the doubt and so no nah, he gets clowned he gets clowned for his silliness he gets <laughs> he gets clowned for doubling down and trying to point the fingers at everybody else instead of taking responsibility because that's what a punk will do a punk does that. If you can't take responsibility, that ain't no man, y'all. But yet they will not let this guy go. And so that's why people get tired of it. And it's like uh, people like Beto O'Rourke are tired of it because did you guys see what Beto O'Rourke did while he was on the campaign trail in um, uh, Texas? Of course, he's trying to unseat Greg Abbott as the governor of Texas. And he had a run in with some Abbott supporters and he really laid into him but just listen to this um i'm gonna let it play out um <laughs> uh it, i'm gonna just play it but you know i think it just speaks to the utter irritation that people are experiencing with silliness okay because the assassination or killing of children in a school should be the last thing that should be a laughing matter but yet here we are stand by this is Beto o'rourke y'all i'm gonna make sure that now 11 weeks since we lost 19 kids and their two teachers shot to death with a weapon originally designed for use in combat legally purchased by an 18 year old 
who did not try to obtain one when he was 16 or 17, but followed the law that's on the books, ladies and gentlemen, that says that you can buy not one, you can buy two or more if you want to, AR-15s, hundreds of rounds of ammunition, and take that weapon that was originally designed for use on the battlefields in Vietnam to penetrate an enemy soldier's helmet at 500 feet and knock him down dead up against kids at five feet. It may be funny to you, but it's not funny to me, okay? Okay, so this is where we're at. So Beto O'Rourke is not having it. Uh, what that was was that as soon as he was talking about bullet shells penetrating helmets and being used uh, for their desired intent, which is for the battlefield and in war, Beto O'Rourke was saying that instead of that, they're being used on children. And he's saying that what they're intended for is for war and for combat. And somebody from the Abbott camp that was attending his... Uh, uh, his 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 press conference or whatever he was having and they, they burst out laughing and he let them have it because it's silliness okay it doesn't matter if you are a Republican Democrat or independent this should not be uh, considered okay all right and so he went on to finish his speech and I, I think Beto O'Rourke has got a shot I've been a doubter for a long time but all of these things happening has energized so many voters to take another look at Democrats. And it's not just happening in Texas with Beto O'Rourke. Uh, it's happening all across the country with Senate races and House races to such an extent that the Senate is definitely now favored to be uh, in the hands of the Democrats by the time the midterm election votes are all counted. So the Democrats are actually favored to win the Senate. The Republicans are still favored to win the House, but that distance is closing. And it's closing fast. Will it close fast enough to make a difference on Election Day? Because, of course, we've been talking about the Dobbs decision, the uh, the government or the Supreme Court's decision to overturn reproductive rights or, uh, excuse me, the rights to an abortion and send it back to the states. OK, so it means that you can still get an abortion. But depending state by state by state, if you live in a red state, they're not going to allow it legally. If you live in a blue state, they will. And if you don't like that, you may have to get up and move. But the federal government no longer protects abortion. So ever since that came down, uh, it has energized Democratic and independent voters and Republican voters, too. You know, I've been saying all along that this has been a unifying issue and that this is not popular with Republicans either. And the fact that the Supreme Court an activist Supreme Court have went to such drastic measures to to make this happen. It's a problem for the Republican, the GOP, and it's costing them in races. This was supposed to be a red wave year, meaning it was supposed to be nothing but a slaughterhouse in favor of Republicans. That's done. That ain't happening. It, this is a blue looking election. It's a toss up in the House. Well, not today. It's honestly it is still considered to be a long shot for the Democrats to maintain control of the House. But it used to be a foregone conclusion that they were just going to be get rolled over. So, of course, the, the, the doomsday naysayers were saying the Democrats don't have a chance, so why fight? And they were energized by that decision from the Supreme Court. Well, Trumpers, over the last few days, they have raided the FBI building in Cincinnati, uh, you know, supposedly upset that the, the Department of Justice executed this uh, search warrant in Mar-a-Lago against Trump. So they... Excuse me, there was a guy in Cincinnati, Ohio, that 
uh, tried to breach the, the Capitol or the, the FBI building in Cincinnati. Uh, he, he lost his life behind that. And there's people out there protesting, saying that, okay, now we're energized. But see, they're doing it for one person. You see what I'm saying? They think this is going to make a difference because one person's property was investigated, whereas the Supreme Court's decision impacts millions of people. You think that we're worried about that? That's your best? What Republicans are hoping for with this, this uh executing of the warrant with Trump in Florida, they're hoping something like that is going to be as legit as what happened with the Department of Justice this week. So this is why it matters who you vote for. Kristen Clark, who is an assistant attorney general with Merrick Garland, they just have uh, issued indictments of the officers in the unlawful slaying of Breonna Taylor. Now, of course, this happened in 2020 when all that uh, stuff was happening with Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd. Uh, Daniel Cameron was the attorney general or is the attorney general there that tried to sweep this under the rug and uh, didn't press charges overall against those cops. One of them has pled guilty. Her name is Officer Kelly Goodlett. Ladies and gentlemen, she pled guilty to falsifying an affidavit. Now, what Republicans do Republicans are doing with this uh, Trump thing in Mar-a-Lago, they want to see the affidavits now because they think that there's some shenanigans as to how the affidavit uh, was constructed and uh, what the reasonable cause was that they are documented. And with an affidavit being a sworn statement, a sworn written statement that's admissible in court, what they found, ladies and gentlemen, in the Breonna Taylor case was that rather than go after the shooting incident, you know, they, they figured something out. Instead of going after that, which is extremely hard to prove, they went upstream and they're pressing charges on that affidavit that falsely asserted that Rihanna Taylor was receiving packages to her address when they knew that that was not the case. They did that to secure a warrant. And so based upon that, that put she and whoever else was in her presence in extreme danger. This is Assistant Attorney General Kristen Clark of the Department of Justice. Rihanna Taylor should have awakened in her home as usual on the morning of March 13th, 2020. Tragically, she did not. She was just 26 years old. As Attorney General Garland just stated, today's indictments allege that Louisville Police Detective Joshua Jaynes and Sergeant Kyle Meany drafted and approved what they knew was a false affidavit to support a search warrant for Ms. Taylor's home. That false affidavit set in motion events that led to Ms. Taylor's death when other LMPD officers executed that warrant. The Fourth Amendment of the Constitution ensures that people are subject to searches only when there is probable cause supporting a search warrant. Falsified warrants create unnecessary hazards for the public and for the police who rely on facts that fellow officers report in carrying out their public duties. The indictment alleges that by preparing a false affidavit to secure a search warrant for Breonna Taylor's homes, defendants Jaynes and Meany willfully deprived Breonna Taylor of her constitutional right to be free from unreasonable searches and seizures. 
and we allege that Ms. Taylor's death resulted from that violation. In a separate indictment, the grand jury charges former LMPD Detective Brett Hankison with using unconstitutionally excessive force during the raid on Ms. Taylor's home. Without a lawful objective justifying the use of deadly force, defendant Hankison traveled away from Ms. Taylor's doorway to the side of the building and fired 10 shots into Breonna Taylor's apartment through a bedroom window and a sliding glass door that were both covered with blinds and curtains. Community safety dictates that police officers use their weapons only when necessary to defend their own lives or the lives of others, and even then, that they must do so with great care and caution. Today's indictment alleges that Hankinson's use of excessive force violated the rights of Brianna Taylor and her guest, and also of her neighbors whose lives were endangered by bullets that penetrated into their apartment. All right, so she goes on to, to speak more about, there's also a separate civil case going on to talk about whether there's a pattern of this in the department of the LMPD, which is Louisville Metro Police Department in Kentucky. And so what that could result in is a possible consent decree if the Department of Justice can establish that there's some kind of pattern or practice of violating uh, the civil rights of the people that they're trying to protect or they're, they're supposed to protect. But that's Breonna Taylor. She didn't say anything about Kelly Goodlett because that came after this. This announcement was this past Friday. Over the weekend, however, uh, Kelly Goodlett pled guilty. And she says that they, she, I mean, they, they admitted to being in a parking garage, conspiring and discussing how they were going to falsify the affidavit. She pled guilty. The three guys that Miss uh, Kristen Clark just mentioned, they, they said not guilty. But one of them flipped. Look out for the name Kelly Goodlett, because the first one that usually takes the plea, most of the time they're going to get the most leniency and the other ones are going to be forced to backpedal and moonwalk to see if they want to stick to that story. So things are going to be popping off later on in the month and we'll see how this goes. But uh, Breonna Taylor, uh, justice may be on the horizon uh, by and by uh, for the loss of that life. And uh, finally, um, see, they want to say it's like there's so many things happening, man. So many things happening. I want to highlight some of these house races. Um, the house is in play, ladies and gentlemen. And you see just from the clip we played from uh, Kristen Clark, the good sister has been on CNN, MSNBC, the Roland Martin Unfiltered show. I mean, it matters who you vote for. The Department of Justice has been on fire getting things done getting indictments, holding police officers accountable, holding law enforcement accountable. That used to be something that would rarely happen or that we would rarely hear about. And now you have an amazing in an environment where now Republicans are calling for defund the FBI because of what happened with Trump, a known liar. Oh my God, it's everything's so upside down, but you know what I'm trying to say. I mean, it's just ironic that this narrative is flipped and they're actually adopting the slogan that uh, some of some of the progressive movement we're talking about with defund the police, they're saying defund the FBI now. And it's, it's just craziness. But the House is in play, ladies and gentlemen. I want to play a clip for you. Uh, this good sister is already in the House and she's running to maintain her seat. And I want us to start becoming aware 
of these candidates who are in competitive races and if people are aware and they place their money where their votes are going to be, the Democrats will have a chance at maintaining the House. And since Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul, it's by no coincidence that I focus this first uh, spotlight on a teacher or a former teacher before she made it into Congress. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's hear from the good sister, Johanna Hayes. Stand by. I'm Johanna Hayes, and I approve this message. We are in unprecedented times, from our jobs, to our schools, to our health care. Everyone has had to be resilient and adapt. From the healthcare workers who had to create and reuse their own PPE, to the teachers who had to figure out how to teach five-year-olds online, to essential workers who showed up despite the risk, Thank you. to the small business owners who just could not make the numbers work anymore, to the families who dealt with devastating illness. I've been right there with you. I see you, I hear you, and I take your issues with me to Congress, where I'm fighting for all people. Because government should be about making everyone's lives better. My work in hospitals and public schools came with me to committee rooms, town halls, and the House floor. You have the authority to do it. When the pandemic hit, I introduced legislation securing funding for Connecticut hospitals, healthcare workers, small businesses, and farmers. I fought for students and teachers. Schools should be safe spaces. I introduced the Child Care is Essential Act because that's what families need. We didn't expect to be homeschooling our kids or turning our kitchens into offices, but when the world changes, we adapt. With your support, I'm ready to continue the work. Imagine how much more we can do together. I'm Johanna Hayes, and I'm asking for your vote. That's Johanna Hayes for U.S. Congress. She's in Connecticut. Uh, get involved, ladies and gentlemen. The House is in play. And if we're going to have any shot or semblance of hope whatsoever that we can continue to have people in Congress that are actually acting on behalf of the majority of people, the majority of voters, as Johanna Hayes, as Kristen Clark is doing, Kristen Clark of the Department of Justice, then your vote matters. You got to get involved. And you'll be surprised what the outcome will be if people just avoid this doomsday scenario that all is lost. Look, it's game on. So let's get to it. So this is KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. Coming up later, we're going to be speaking with the good brother, Mr. Kipper Jones with Juliana and Janine. But next up, we're going to be paying tribute to a Motown singing songwriting legend, Mr. Lamont Dozier. And joining us for that conversation will be the good brother, Mr. A. Scott Galloway. So stay tuned for more. We'll be right back with Mr. Galloway after this.
Dozier has passed away at the age of 81. Yeah, from Motown to Hollywood, Dozier went on to record music for some of the biggest stars like the Supremes and the Four Tops. Fox News' Brandon Hudson with more on the amazing life of this Detroit native and the community's reaction to his passing. It's one of the many Motown classics you just can't get out of your head after the first line. That iconic sound, those timeless lyrics. Lamont Dozier may not have been one of the many faces or voices of Motown, but his songwriting made him an unsung hero. Sadly, the singer-songwriter passed away at 81 years old. In an Instagram post, Dozier's son, Lamont Jr., wrote, Rest in heavenly peace, Dad. How sweet it is to be loved by you. As a part of the Motown powerhouse writing team, Holland Dozier Holland, or HDH, Lamont Dozier co-wrote 25 top 10 hits. Timeless classics, which are live thanks to Detroit's Motown Museum. He started in the Motown scene as a singer, as many artists did, and uh, developed his skills into songwriting and ended up writing some of the greatest songs in the American songbook. Um, he helped launch the careers of the Four Tops, Supremes, and many others. Paul Barker is Motown Music's Director of Development. He told us about the last time Dozier and the Holland brothers visited the museum in 2019. Lamont asked to see the studio, and so I went and showed him down into the recording room, but he stopped in the control room. And I asked him why he stopped there, and he said, well, this is the studio. And as a writer, that's the room he spent his time in, and it, it, it was just an education moment for me. And they talked about cutting tapes and writing and just being there all night long. The stories they told are, and still tell, are phenomenal. On Saturday, Motown Museum will host its Founders Day. It'll be a chance for people to come down here and see some of the old school and new school talent. They can also pay their respects to Mr. Lamont Dozier. Okay, we are back. KCWG, the truth.com. This program's called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, we are here to pay tribute to an incredible singer songwriting legend that has gone on to greater glory. Uh, the good brother's name was Lamont Dozier, one third of the legendary songwriting conglomerate called Holland Dozier Holland. Lamont Dozier was the Dozier of that triad. And uh, we lost him just in the last few days, ladies and gentlemen. And, you know, there's only one person that comes to mind when we have an event of this magnitude. And I do consider this to be of a particular magnitude because this is a giant uh, in the industry, if you love black music. So uh, without further delay, we're going to get right to this, brother. You guys know who this is. Come on, man. He was here for the Nope Review, and uh, man, it's always a joy to have him here. No further introductions needed. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good brother, Mr. A. Scott Galloway. Mr. Galloway, are you in the house? Yes, I am, sir. Thank you so much for having me on uh, such an occasion to speak on this legendary yeah. gentleman who I actually had an opportunity to work with. And, uh, you know, it's a it's a passing that uh, really touched my heart this time around. I'm surprised they don't. I mean, I imagine, Scott, they all touch your heart and it's personal because, see, when ladies and gentlemen, when I have Scott on talking about these things, we do have a good time paying tribute to him. But these are personal reflections. Scott has spent time with these people. In many cases, these are his friends. So good brother. Uh, I reached out to you as soon as I heard the news. Uh, what came to your mind about his contribution to music, your life, and uh, to this cosmos of music that we love so much, Mr. A. Scott Galloway, Lamont Dozier? 
But you know, when I when I heard heard of its passing, I um, well, no, let me let me go back. When I think about him, you know, initially before I got the opportunity to work with him, and and the capacity of that was, I wrote his bio for a very important album that he recorded, uh, or at least it was released in 2004, actually reissued in 2004. The album was called Reflections Of. And uh, it was, the, it was you know, before I worked with him on that project, I just thought of him primarily as part of that incredible Motown songwriting duo of Holland, Dozier, Holland, you know, and mm-hmm. I didn't really have any understanding of what Holland did from what Dozier did from what the other Holland did, you know, how their right. contributions were to the projects. Uh, I've met the Hollands, but I haven't worked with them. But Lamont uh, was just a really sensitive guy. I mean, he's very nice. He was very uh, much what I would consider to be a, a pure songwriter. You know, he was a guy that, that, that came up uh, playing piano and writing songs when he was a teenager and wanting to be a singing star in his own right. You know, he was signed to Motown as a artist, but he ended up becoming, you know, much more valuable to Motown as a, you know, songwriter in partnership with the, with the, uh, the Holland brothers, as well as on his own. I mean, you know, he, he could do both, but mm-hmm. that team was, was really special. Working with him was just so inspiring and so beautiful because he, he, he was really a window into pure songwriting. And, um, you know, he just shared with me some things that, that, have, that have never left me as far as, you know, how he did what he did and, and what inspired him and, and why he parted ways, well, you know, in at least part of the reason that he parted ways with Holland Brothers, because he wanted to, he really wanted to be a star in his own right. That was a big dream of his. He always wanted to be a a singing star. Mm -hmm. I don't think that ever really happened for him, even though he did several albums and he had a, you know, uh, one or two singles that that did crack top five of the charts and everything. But, Mm -hmm. you know, that serious stardom uh, eluded him. You know, a couple of hits is one thing, but he didn't, he never became a star. But I don't really think he needed to, you know, his um, attempts at it were so beautiful and so heartfelt and pure. And uh, and his songwriting was just amazing. Absolutely amazing. So emotional. Man, I mean, you heard it playing when you, you walked in here. So what did you learn about his contribution relative to the Holland brothers? And they had a distinctive role, didn't they? All three of them, Lamont Dozier in particular. Uh, what did you find out about how they made that whole magic happen? But well, speaking primarily about Lamont, because again, I never have gotten the opportunity to work with uh, the, the Holland brothers, Eddie and Brian. Um, uh, Lamont was, you know, he was the piano player and he had a, a strong love for classical music that was instilled in him by his aunt. And so, you know, he was the one that brought the, those rich melodies and, and harmonies, chord, chord progressions. And uh, one of the things that I shared, I, I rarely share things uh, directly from my archive on Facebook, which is where I primarily do all my social media stuff. But I, I did, I want to share with people in that, that 
one secret of his was that he always started off writing songs in as if they were going to be a ballad because he felt like that way he could really milk the emotion of whatever the scenario was of the song. You know, he could, you know, start off, you know, kind of writing it and singing it as this, you know, really heartfelt thing. And then if you want to, you know, it's easier to, you know, you can kick the tempo up and, and make it, you know, be a, a finger popper or something you can dance to and all that. But all the emotion is accounted for, uh, you know, whether you leave it as a ballad or, or kick up the tempo. So even with, if you listen to something like Reach Out, I'll Be There by the Four Tops, which is just like, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's a driving kind of thing. But you could imagine that, you know, when he started it, it was probably more, you know, I'll be there with a love. I mean, you know, just, you know, mm -hmm. pouring the emotion into it. And so that that's always there. Mm. You know, so that that was that was one of the things that, that was really good. I think that the I'm intuiting that the Hollands were very clever lyricists. They could come up with great ideas and concepts and and, and I'm sure they were great lyricists. Um, as well, obviously, um, right. but I think when you talk about the emotional foundation of a lot of that material, especially the ones that that uh, really connected with folks, like I hear a symphony, yeah. or um, my world is empty without you, uh, baby, mm -hmm. I need your loving. I mean, you know, it's like you know, once you listen to the way Lamont wrote songs once he left. The, uh, the Holland Brothers, and, uh, and and when you learn about the fact that you know he had that classical background and 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 wanted to be an artist in his own right and everything, that's when you kind of begin to have a, a good understanding of what he contributed uh, to the mix in that uh, wonderful songwriting trio. Yeah, well, now I mean, thank you because that sheds a whole lot of light now on the uh, the album Black Bach. Oh yeah. That that's the one. Uh, I have other uh, singles here and there uh, through my lifetime with Lamont Dozier included, but Black Bach is the one album that I actually went out and purchased. And I'll tell you more about that. Why I did that. Uh, that album in particular, man. I think that's the one. Didn't that have Fish Ain't Biting and uh, so many of his uh, earliest hits? Because the first time I heard him. Uh, I want to talk to you about that. The, can you recall the first time when you knew that he was a solo artist? Because we know a lot of the Motown stuff, right, Scott? And right. even if we weren't, a, we, we didn't have that direct association embedded in us as to the breakdown of who was making this stuff happen behind the scenes. We knew the front artists, Four Tops, Temptations, Supremes, Marvin Gaye, Tammy Terrell, and Isley Brothers. I mean, he was they were writing for all of them. Can you recall the first time you heard a Lamont Dozier song? Not particularly. It probably was Fish Ain't Biting. And, yeah. and actually, that came from uh, not the Black Bach album. Uh, and I'm really interested. We're going to talk to you about that album. But um, mm -hmm. it was from his, his, what is considered to be his first solo album, Out Here On My Own, from 1973. It had two big hits on it, Fish Ain't Biting, as well as Trying to Hold On To My Woman. Ooh. And, uh, you know, in 73, I was nine. So, you know, I wasn't really checking for... Mm -hmm. Lamont Dozier at that time, to be very honest with you. I mean, probably the only artist of that ilk that I liked at that time, so young, was Isaac Hayes because Hot Buttered Soul and that whole symphonic soul thing and the way yes. I was singing, 
and all that, that bowled me over. And then I was also into Barry White, um, not to the point yes. where I saw his records or anything, but Barry um, was just an intriguing um, character, you know, you know, just the, the way he looked and and uh, versus thing about and all that stuff. So at that point, Lamont Dozier, like, I just, you know, I did know about Holland Dozier Holland because again, my parents had a wonderful record collection. And mm. in that record collection were albums and singles by the Four Tops, The Temptations, and The Supremes, and Marvin Gaye. So, you know, I definitely got used to seeing, you know, the, the Holland Dozier Holland underneath a whole bunch of songs on spinning record labels. You know? Man, dude, I mean, I'm glad you, I'm so glad you said that because I yeah. used to trip out on that Invictus record label, man. I'm like, I'm a little kid looking at this head spinning. It turned out to be The Thinker right a statue right. or a painting uh right. did, were you able to dive into that whole history i i was i was i was trying to learn a little something about the invictus records era uh what do you recall about that well invictus was the label um along with hot wax that the holland dozier holland started once they left motown you know i mean they just you know they, they felt like they had contributed so much to motown but they you know um, Barry Gordy still controlled so much of mm -hmm. artwork and, and all that stuff. So they decided that they wanted to do their own thing. And they were one of the first major entities to leave Motown, be it artist or behind the scenes persons. Yeah. Know? Okay. So that was, a, that was an interesting label. And, and even that label, you know, uh, when I was a kid, chairman of the board, paid to the piper, um, mm -hmm. uh, the eighth day, uh, She's yeah. not just another woman. And then my very, very dear friends, Honeycone, uh, who are on, Woo! they were on the Hot Wax label. You yeah. know, all them songs that they put out, One Ads and uh, Stick yeah. Up, yes. were uh, very, very much favorites of mine as a kid. They were, you know, a lot of times the subject matter when you're a kid somewhat goes over your head, you know, but of course, um, you know, that they were just so well produced and, and, and you could dance to them and make you feel good and everything. And, and what was great about that is you kind of like songs on one level when you're a kid and then you can grow into them as you grow older and really realize what the lyrics are about and how they can apply to your life, the life lessons and, and that whole thing. So mm. yeah, Invictus was, was, was the bomb. Oh my God, Terminal Port also had one of the funkiest Tunes, uh, Finders Keepers. Oh my God, with Bernie Worrell playing clavinet on it. Oh, I had a few Invictus records. <laughs> oh yeah, man. And I used to trip because I, when I would see that record label spinning, uh, the group was uh, oh, the Crumbs Off the Table single. Oh, Crumbs Off the Table. Uh, who was that group? Who was that? Uh, who was the, that? The, the Eighth Day. No, <laughs> it was. Um, Wait a minute. Uh, oh man oh man i should know this i should have been prepared oh my god yeah i mean they're just one of those groups from the early 70s day yeah the yeah glass house that thank was. you the glass house okay so when i listen to that song by the glass house crumbs off the table i'm like i remember this song and then as i was older and i was collecting records as a dj the song that immediately came to mind when i finally listened to the Glass House as an adult, I'm like, okay, that's Zippity Doo Dah by the Jackson Five. <laughs> okay. It's the same rhythm and yep. it's the same drum pattern and pacing. Now, I'm assuming, I'm, I'm, this is a question, are they, 
remember songs used to be just credited to the corporation on a lot of uh, Motown records. So where Holland Dozier Holland considered to be part of what was called the corporation when they didn't want to individually credit people for, for the contributions. You no, 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 uh, no. That's interesting because um, the corporation actually came along after uh, Holland Dozier Holland left. And uh, one of the reasons that they did that was because they didn't want another Holland Dozier Holland, you know, uh, mm. you know, coming up and getting a lot of attention and, and having other people wanting to do their records or, or whatever. You know, they just kind of wanted something to be a bit more anonymous. And actually, when you go to Discogs, it says, in order to prevent the creation of new superstar producers like Holland Dozier Holland, uh, Gordy credited writing and production on many Jackson 5 records to the corporation. And the corporation was Barry Gordy, the late Deke Richards, the late Freddie Perrin, and mm. Fox Mizell. So those four gentlemen wow. were the ones that uh, were responsible for the songs that uh, were the corporation. They were a great team. They, they oh, worked man. very well. They, they were able to bounce off of each other and, and write things um, that were sophisticated, uh, yet, you know, very bubblegum, you know, that could appeal to, you know, pop audiences, soul audiences, you mm -hmm. know, they, and yet if you really listen to them, you know, they, there was stuff going on in there in the lyrics and the music that, again, you, you know, upon further investigation and study, you're like, wow, <laughs> there's some really cool messages and stuff in these tunes. So maybe tomorrow, oh my God, you know? Oh, um, man. And even ABC or... Yes. Whatever, so, many, so many of those tunes were just incredible. Absolutely. You alluded to Bernie Worrell playing on a Chairman of the Board song and yeah. that funk connection, because I've seen the name Ron Dunbar on a lot of Parliament albums with George Clinton. And yeah. Is that the same Ron Dunbar that was with? That's uh, right. So what what do you know? How much do you know about that connection right there? Because I don't hear a whole lot about Ron Dunbar. I know he's no longer with us, but were you able to learn anything about his contribution to Dozier? You know, I, I think they, that he was just another one of those elements that they brought into the label. Obviously, they couldn't write everything and produce everything, mm -hmm. you know, and they also had some very strong musicians and arrangers mckinley jackson and oh, so, so many people my, my good buddy tony newton great bass player um you know i think potentially that ray parker and michael henderson and those cats even probably right. uh, played on some sessions over there i'm not positive but there was a whole clique of detroit uh talents that oh, yeah. uh you know really enjoyed having someplace else to go besides motown to uh, get their songs placed and to be able to to make a living as sidemen and stuff so i just you know from what i know ron dunbar which is one of those one of those cats you know yeah yeah i'm telling you do you think that holland dozier holland and lamont dozier in particular i mean just as a production singer songwriting team production production team what do what how do you think they sort of set the template for the modern day producers that came after them? Because I, I know I can I could probably name a few duet production teams like Foster McElroy, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis is an obvious one. 
something for the people is a production group that just you know i think i saw juliana talking about that uh last week or two that was mm -hmm. a trio of artists or producers that came together but production right. teams uh what do you think their influence was in the music game in terms of production teams and contributing to the global hit making pop making music machine uh, I mean, you know, other than the fact that they were a trio as opposed to a duo, I just think that um, it was it was a great example uh, for young creative people or just creative people in music to follow. Period. You know, um, mm -hmm. I wish that more artists today would would pick up on the fact that sometimes it's really good to have partners to do things with. You know, when you so much selfishness and kind of ego in a lot of today's stuff where you know so many people want to be the, the one you know i'm the producer i'm the one who did this i wrote it i i you know i did everything right. uh, but if you have you know the more creative people you, you don't want to have too many because it really splits a lot of the money uh up and right. and 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 again and again further mucks up the idea of who did what you know mm -hmm. but you know i think three is a magic number and you know mm -hmm. between three people and like i said the corporation earlier that we spoke of that was four people you know um know. but they were they were they were ruling. you know it's like you know if you have a really good situation i think it's great for uh people to have trusted and compatible folks that they can collaborate with you get things done faster more efficiently Hopefully you're having more fun and, uh, and, right. and there's a quality control element there because it's not just you, you know, you've got stuff that has to fly by everybody and, and, and somebody might take your great idea and make it better, or they might take someone's crappy idea and make it better, you know, but, but you have more people involved and it's not as clear and cut and dry to say in Ashford and Simpson where, you know, Nick primarily wrote most of the lyrics and Valerie primarily did the music. But they could, mm -hmm. you know, but they could, you know, both do. They could both do both, and they could both help each other make something that was good a whole lot better. Mm -hmm. Together, I'm telling you, this is KCWG, the Truth.com's program is called Psychiatry Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. We're talking to our good brother, Mr. A. Scott Galloway. We are breaking down the musical life and times of the good brother, Mr. Lamont Dozier, one third of the production team of Motown, Holland Dozier Holler, Holland that is, and uh, within their own capacity in creations such as Invictus Records, uh, we mentioned Hot Wax, Hot Wax Records, and of course his solo career, he was known as Black Bach. Uh, thank you for correcting me earlier about that uh, Black Bach Association because I haven't been near my record collection in a while. But Fish Ain't Biden was a really big hit. And he was talking about some things that I remember when I was a kid, I used to make my grandmother laugh every time he would say that tricky dick trying to be slick line. She would just <laughs> crack up talking, of course, about Richard Nixon. And Lord knows we are well beyond some Richard Nixonian type of uh, politicking going on right now with all this stuff happening with Trump. But oh, my goodness. Oh, man. But way ahead of his time, man. And faith evans people like sleepy brown owe a great deal of debt to lamont dozier because whether people realize it or not i had the 45 of uh don't leave me starving for your love i didn't have it my my folks got it and i had that record my whole life a sky galloway my whole life mm. and it's kind of like I mean, okay and before i tell you this um 
you you remember the group Brick? Oh, think, that's my group. I love that's Brick the group, right? So much. I love them. And you know a singer named India Ari, right? Of so course. her first big hit was Video. And I'm like, okay, that's a nice little group. Dang. I'm, okay, it, it sounds so organic and sweet. And come to find out, the second Brick album, or yep. maybe the third one, with with Duzik on it. That's the second one. That was the second one, right? And I'm like, yes. that that's that's happy, or no, 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 that's fun. That, that's, that's the riff of fun. And I'm like, dang, I've had this record my whole freaking life, and I like video, and I didn't make the connection, A. Scott Galloway. And then years later, fast forward, I'm DJing in clubs, right? We mm. done rock, we done rock some parties with that Sleepy Brown joint. He was with Outkast, of course, and then he had a solo career, and then he was like, ah. Oh, can't wait, I can't wait, I, I can't wait, I can't wait. Big hit for him with uh, Big Boy, I think. Yeah. Actually, it was both of them. It was Sleepy Brown featuring Outkast. Andre and Big Boy were on that, right? And come to find out, I wasn't even looking for it, Scott. I just threw on Holland Dozier Holland, Don't Leave Me Starving for Your Love. That's where they got that song from. Yeah. I'm like, what? It, it, the funny on. thing is that, you know, uh, when Lamont passed and I really started looking at his work post Holland Dozier Holland, he had a lot of deep soul records, man. serious straight up soul records, man. Laura Lee, if, yes. if you don't like my rock and you can have my chair <laughs> or if you, can beat, if you can beat my rock and you can have my chair. Have my chair. Wow. And then, uh, you know, some things that he did for ZZ Hill, including I Created a Monster. Mm. And, um, Margie Joseph, Hear the Words, Feel the Feeling. You know, he, he wow. could really go a lot deeper. You know, he, he, he had that kind of a, a thing for soul. And, you know, again, at Motown, you know, Barry Gordy was going for that sound of young America and everything. But Lamont yes. was truly, you know, once he became a solo artist, you could see that he was all about that grown folks music, you know. and. So it was very, and, and that's very Southern influenced, and, and um, he did very well uh, in serious, straight up R and B mode, you know, as you know, beyond soul music and a more crossover vein. Oh, sure did, sure did. Now, something the heads might not know, and this is another thing that I stumbled across, uh, and that's why I mentioned Black Bach earlier. Uh, Faith Evans owes a great debt of gratitude because her remix of. Um, uh, burning up. That's Lamont Dozier, y'all. And uh, shouts out to the producer, Jess Blaze. He actually lit that track up. It was already a fire track, but when they dropped that remix to mm. Burning Up with that Lamont Dozier track on there, I'm on fire. I'm like, yep. what? Oh my God. I yes, can't sir. times we rocked the party with that Faith Evans remix of Burning Up. Uh, thank you, Lamont Dozier, for that. Oh my God. And what's yeah. so beautiful about it, man, Scott, it's like you, you, you said he was a piano player, right? Yeah. And very much uh, with the spirit of the, the importance of learning your music and your instrument instilled in him by his aunt, if, if I heard you correctly earlier. And an yes. in, in interest in symphonic sound. And you mentioned Bernie Worrell playing with the chamber or the, the chairman of the board. It's like what a foregone era of musicians behind the scenes like you say who didn't want to be stars i remember when you came on and did an interview with us when we paid tribute to wawa watson you brought in the good brother uh from the undisputed truth yeah joe 
Joe, Joe Pep, Joe Big Pep Joe, Harris. Big Joe Pep Harris. He was talking about, yo, when I brought in Wawa, it's like, dang, it made me look good because this, this cat knows his instrument. He knows his stuff. And when you have some people around, like you said, it's like not every one person can do every single thing. But when you have the, the talent around you, the talent pool, and people can kind of find and identify what their lane is and, you know, kind of stick with that and then help out in other areas where it's needed, you can really make some beautiful things happen without the ego. You know, Lamont seemed like he, I, I, I hear you that he wanted to be a star, but man, he, he, he was able to be such a, a consummate team player with what he brought into the the musical fray, you know, with just his musical pedigree alone, wouldn't you say? No, well, absolutely. Like I said, you know, he was an artist in his own right. He could write songs by himself. He could write in collaboration with other people. He mm -hmm. could arrange, he could produce. His brother, Reggie, was an engineer. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. so, I mean, he just had it going on. I mean, it, he could he could create 24 hours a day if he wanted to, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, may he rest in paradise, man. His music is going to certainly stay with me forever. I'm sure it's made an imprint on you. And uh, shouts out to uh, everybody in the Motown family. Lamont Dozier, what a life. Uh, may he rest in paradise. Good brother, Scott. What's the best way for people to stay in touch with you and uh, track your work, good brother? As always, uh, Facebook. It's Scott Galloway on Facebook. And, uh, you know, if you want to look up things that I have done in the past right now, All Music Guide and, uh, is, is you know, good at having a good amount of my work uh, accounted for in a timely fashion. They're still missing some things, but I've done well over 300 liner note essays, and that's just liner notes. So there's wow. a bunch of other work that I've done. And uh, so, you know, soon... And very soon there will be a place where you can go and, and know more about what I'm up to. But it ain't there yet, so we ain't going to talk about it. Oh, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there because the body of work from A. Sky Galloway, ladies and gentlemen, is amazing and continues to grow and grow. Amon Doja, rest in peace. This is KCWG, the truth.com's program called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Brome. That was the good brother, Mr. A. Scott Galloway. Stay tuned for more. We'll be right back after this.
clothes, look at the cut coupons. On three, got the heat so bluffing. Slang it as he fits, cause it's more than 20 ducats struck it. Kinda rich, now his pockets looking straight. Slam the D's on the benzo pancake by the gate. Mom's looking straight with her half, she got great. Lounging in her new home, that's about the state. I'll be your call, mail, motel. You can get it when you want it, even though you got chicks all up on it. Don't matter, cause brother, you fly. I can't lie, I've been macking daddy from the corner of my eye. Now, baby, bring it on, don't be frontin' on your baby. All I wanna know is what's up with you How can I get with you? Seems like you gotta hold on me It must be voodoo Cause baby I want you About so big, about so small, about this length, about this width, about this flow, about this gift. Instinctly and me right up your alleyway. Skip the moet, let's chill with some Alize. Enough stress in our day. Let me massage your mind as my mental starts to play. A ghetto sauce who you are, and I'll be your sexual chocolate bar. And I gotta keep strong for the cause, and you gotta keep strong for the tours, brother man and me, damn the family, what else could we be with no one understands us but we, you were the first to tame me, uh, big teeth, I'm out. Hey, DJ Rome here, Psychotic Bum School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. I am honored to be here with this very special panel. We had these two ladies here before, and we have a very, very special guest that's here for the very first time, y'all. If you tuned in last week, we had this incredible Nope review, and this week we're talking about songwriting, credits. You guys know about the story. What's happening online with this social media chatter between the camp of the Beehive, meaning Beyonce, and that of Khalees Rogers Mora, okay? AKA Khalees. Well, there's a lot of people that have a lot of opinions about what's been happening, and there's some people that are in the know that really know the real deal. So we're going to break it on down to its final compound. And to help me have this conversation before we bring our very, very special guest in, who's here for the very first time, we have our two returning champs. We have Janine Colvney, and we have the good sister Juliana Bolden. Janine, Juliana, what's up? Hey. Okay. hey. <laughs> glad hey, to be hey, back hey. here. That's yeah, right. Glad to be back here. Hi, Janine. Hi, hey, Juliana. Uh, Juliana would have loved to be on camera, ladies and gentlemen, but she's currently on tour right now. So we we, we got to catch her any way we can. You know what I'm saying? So we're just happy that she's here. But we here we have somebody here for the very first time, Janine and Juliana. This good brother is a stalwart in his own right. He's written some of the biggest songs that you all have heard of. We're going to get into that in just a second. And he definitely has some views on what's been happening with this issue right here with songwriting, credits, royalties, the whole nine. So ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, the good brother, Mr. Kipper Jones. Mr. Jones, how the world are you doing, good brother? Look, see, even that, y'all see that? I saw that on the Little Rascals when I was a little kid. 
It's like, remember, remember when Spanky would bring out alfalfa or something or a or, or buckwheat? They would be like, yeah, that was like the little rascal's cheer. How you doing, good brother? Man, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I am, uh, as of this past Friday, four weeks past prostate cancer surgery. Okay. I'm, I'm going to give you one now, man. Yeah, yeah. Hey, man. God's blessings yeah. upon you. Amen. All healing and light. That's what's we up. Yeah, so that's good news. Congratulations. Yeah. God bless you, Kipper. I appreciate y'all. You're the guy that's known as uh, one of the best kept secrets uh, in music. You got one of the wickedest pens in the game in your own right. Uh, this good brother has written songs for Kenny Lattimore uh, for the Five Heartbeats. Of course, he wrote The Right Stuff and The Comfort Zone for Vanessa Williams. And of course, the iconic classic, I Wanna Be Down, which was the first hit single by a slightly known singer named Brandy. 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 Okay, so they're not wrong, right, Kipper? Because something else that came to mind, Ray Parker Jr. did a VH1 special a few years ago when he was talking about the song, uh, You Make Me Feel Like Dancing, that was a big, big hit for Leo Sayer, but Ray Parker Jr. says that's his song and he was never paid for it. He was never properly credited for it. So how common is that, Kipper? You know, thinking about the time when you came into the game and you first got on, uh, even before the days of T's, uh, you had some influences around you, but you were still sort of a green artist at some point. Uh, can you speak to that a little bit, just the, the, the vulnerability of a new artist and their aspiration to get paid for their work? What is that like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, things have changed a lot since I came into business. I mean, uh, this is literally my 41st year. We're talking 1981. I got my first song covered um, that, I, you know, as a writer, as a songwriter. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's been it's been quite some time. So there's always these like massive uh, uh, shifts in how things work in the business. But one thing is is always uh, the same <laughs> is mm -hmm. that the writer of the song has a publishing share. OK, whether whether they're signed to a publishing company or they're or they own their own publishing, whatever that is there for every writer share there is a publishing share and, and when you say publishing share that's the owner of the song right that's the person that if somebody wants to re-record the song cover the song when i say re-record it uh to cover it or sample it to use the actual master recording mm -hmm. or to do what they have done on this beyonce record which is called an interpolation okay which is to take a piece of what was recorded and redo it yourself, mm -hmm. um, or or the producers redid it, or however. But it was redone. It wasn't the actual sample from the record, so they didn't get a master clearance from the label because they, uh, they replayed it. It's an interpolation. That's right. But the interpolation and the sample are credited the same way mm. by the publisher and the writers, not by the performer. The performer, God bless them. They're incidental, especially in the United States, where I have a I have a beef with this. This is the United States is one of only I'm, I'm sure three, but maybe four countries in the entire world who don't pay performer royalties for terrestrial radio. And when I say that, um, when you hear "I Want to Be Down" on KJLH or you know y'all in my hometown, but you know or or V103 here in Atlanta, we all know KJLH, brother. We we LA. I know you are. I'm, I'm, I'm LA to the core. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. In, in Atlanta. 
Yeah. Um, but, but when you hear that record on the radio, on terrestrial, what I call terrestrial radio, that's radio on your dial. Right. I get paid as the writer. Keith gets paid as the writer. Keith Crouch. Randy does not get paid because the United States does not pay performers royalties for airplay. I think that's ridiculous. The United States, China, North Korea, and I think Iran. Interesting bedfellows, but they are the other countries that don't pay performer royalties for radio. Mm. So when you see now, and, and this was this was a phenomenon that really kind of started. Well, I noticed it more like with Mariah Carey when she first came on the scene. Um, there were songs on her records and then her name would be on them. And I'm like, really? Is she that dope? She like 20, mm. you know? Mm. Well, what happens is these record companies understand, record companies and managers who are signing these huge artists understand that their artists are not going to get paid for airplay unless their names are listed as writers. Mm. And so you started to see the Mariah Carey name. You start to see these artists' names on records. I'm not saying they didn't really do anything, but I'm probably mm. sure they didn't do what, you know, they're mm -hmm. being paid for, but they got to look out for their artists, right? So I get it. You got to put their names on it so they get they can participate in that income as well. That's the only way to do that in the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, Police, I'm sure, knew nothing about that at 19 when she signed his first record deal. We, you know, I I signed stupid deals too. I, I'm and and that's why I'm I'm glad I'm part of this conversation. I signed a dumb deal mm. as a kid um, in my early 20s with a publisher who to this day still gets part of my brandy royalties mm. when they have nothing to do with it nothing to do with it but i signed a stupid deal i have to live with the consequences um until i can fix it you know yeah I'm 60 now something's gonna get fixed before they lay me to rest i'm just oh, telling you that's that. what's up so, but well, what, can you tell what, what went into that decision to sign that deal was where it was i was living at home with my grandparents i needed to get out um i i needed uh i'm gonna give you a relative figure i said if you give me eight thousand dollars i will sign your deal i just need to get out of here um so said publisher sent this woman to my house with an eight thousand dollar check and i said fine it was a five-year deal with advances of eight thousand, ten thousand, twelve. They went up by two thousand dollars for the next five years. In that time, I wrote the Comfort Zone for Vanessa Williams. I wrote um, uh, Thank You for the Funk for the Boys, that which was a gold album. The Vanessa Williams album ended up being double platinum. Um, I mean, this guy was making loads of money right off off of me which was, you know, I was great. I was just like, as long as I pay you back, I don't, you know, I don't care. Mm -hmm. But not only did I pay him back, he was then, he then said that I was writing songs that he didn't know about and all of this stuff. And so when my deal was done with him, the time, uh, the term of the deal was up, I moved on. Um, I couldn't get him to sign off on it. He was like, no, I'm not doing that. And I was like, well, you know, the term's up. You, I don't owe you any money. I don't owe you anything. I went into a new deal with another company. It was my first real publishing deal uh, where, you know, a six figure deal. I'm like, yeah, now, now I'm a legit songwriter. Mm -hmm. um, and this guy sued me, that company and the person that signed me. And it was just a mess. Hmm. 
And so at that time, I, I got really ill in 2016. Um, I'm in 2016, 1996, Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, and I ended up having to settle out with him because I, I wasn't well and I couldn't fight it. Uh, and I settled with him. And part of that settlement is that he still gets royalties from my brandy stuff. I mean, he was very calculated mm. in how he did that. And mm. so, yeah, we, we sign bad deals. We do stuff. Um, we have to hold ourselves accountable and you got to live with the consequences. Um, but what you can't do is then go back and say, well, I did so and so and so. That doesn't move the needle. Mm. Um, because what you've you, you sign something that says, okay, this, 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 and this. Now, I don't know how in the world you actually, I've seen it, but I, I don't know how you can be the artist on a record. You're signed as an artist, and I'm sure you're participating in the writing. Um, how you don't end up on the song, I don't know. And I saw some of the credits from some of those songs where it does list uh, Chad, Pharrell, and her as okay. writers. Um, milkshake, she's not listed as a writer. But I want to ask, I want to pose this because I also, I, I use that website, Who Sampled, a lot. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because uh, uh, 2019 um, was the 25th anniversary of I Want to Be Down. I wanted to put a Spotify playlist together with all the songs that have either covered it or remixed it or sampled it or just whatever. And it's like uh, almost like 100 songs. It's like crazy, which is really super cool. But um, I'm using this Who Sampled website to find this information out. Mm -hmm. I go to Who Sampled. Hey, there she is. <laughs> hey, Julieta. Um, I go to Who Sampled this one particular morning, and it says Chance the Rapper. And I'm like, get out of here. I love Chance the Rapper. He ain't sampled my song because I don't know anything about it. I get sample clearances all the time, requests all the time. How often is all the time? Quantify that. At least once a month. Okay. I mean, I mean that literally, at least once a month. Okay. And so I went to his album on Wikipedia, and sure enough, he sampled um, uh, I, I want, want to Be Down, uh, and it's a song called uh, Bossin, uh, Flossin' Ballin' or Ballin' Flossin', something like that. And it's it's Chance the Rapper and Shawn Mendes. The record is totally dope. Mm -hmm. It's Chicago House. I love, you know, I'm a house head. I was, I was totally honored, but I didn't re, uh, receive the request. What happens is, is there are three owners now. Mm. I just on my publishing end, who can approve? There's Keith can obviously approve it because he he's a writer. I can approve it if they send me a request, but this other publisher, who I'm still doggedly tied to. Mm still has a share and he can approve it and he did which i'm not mad at because i would have approved it too mm -hmm. but um I, I bring that up to say that Khalees mentioned that she didn't get a call from beyonce you know like we go way back and she didn't even call me to say oh by the way this record is gonna be you know on here and yada yada well i didn't get a call either to say that my record was going to be on the Chance the Rapper album, nor did I give a care, because I'm glad you, I don't care whether you call me or not. I'm on the new Chance the Rapper album. Come on. And the checks are the same. All the, you know, all the money's the same. So mm. her her beef is just, I don't know, it, it was it was real personal. It, it didn't really seem to have anything to do with business for real. 
It just seemed like it was just personal. And she was digging it. That site, who sampled? I looked up Milkshake. That song has been sampled over 40 times. Mm. Did she do this with everybody or is this just a Beyonce thing? Mm. I thought that too, Kipper, because I see that there is a 2021 rap song by a female rapper named Bia, Bia, um, Juliana, do you know that? And she samples the beat of Milkshake. And then at one point during the lyrics, she literally says, my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. She says it, it's in, it's in the video. Mm -hmm. So where where is Khalees on that? Is it, you know, where is her beat? I mean, I, not to be crass, but expecting a phone call from Beyonce is like, you know, expecting a call from the president, like he's going to be in your town and he should call you. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, not to belittle Khalees's artistry, because I, I really love her records and her energy. Right. But Beyonce has past her in terms of her global immediacy she drops an album it's a worldwide event everybody has something to say about it and um like i said i feel for Khalees because her business wasn't taken care of but she should not have expected a, a phone call like you say it's something personal yeah. i don't i, I mean don't feel for her I'm, I'm sorry, one thing, one thing. And, and because here's, here's the thing, she got a shout. When when the thing says, as performed by Khalees, baby, take that, go to the promoters and say, oh, by the way, I'm on the new Beyonce record. Right here is my name. Um, I, I need to book this show. I need to book this podcast. I need to book yada, yada. That's what I meant by the leg up. When somebody mentions you, it's Beyonce for Christ's sake. Mm -hmm. It's not... You know, and like you said, I'm not trying to belittle anybody, but the girl is probably one of the two or three biggest stars in the world. And that's attention like you're not going to get from anywhere else. Use it. I didn't see Robin S. bitching and moaning about it. I, Big Frida is like, girl, listen, I am going on the road and I will show up whenever you want me to. And I will twerk and work and do all of it. Um, Khalees could have said the same thing, right? I mean, you know, let me know when you fall through Jersey or whatever, I'm going to hop on. And I'm sure B would have been like, yeah, cool. Mm -hmm. But when you take that very terse, like, admonishing tone, <laughs> she, she was like, yeah, I'll be push this button and be done with this. Because it's not that serious. I, the album goes on. I didn't even notice the sample. I had to listen for yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and so, and so now that it's gone, I still don't notice it. Well, let me ask you this, because Juliana, I see you want to jump in. Juliana, go ahead and jump in. Is, is it ever just business, Juliana? Well, hey, great segue to where I was actually going. For all these reasons and more is why we need to give Kaylee's grace, because there's obviously something else happening here that we're not privy to and really don't want to be. I mean, I'm on team Virgo. Like if, if the beef is not mine, I don't want to be responsible for the fallout. Um, so like I said, I'm pro artist, I'm pro pro black woman, pro woman, pro all of that for each one of them. However, 
what we're seeing is the trauma that this woman experienced as an artist from the 90s in these different deals. And to my knowledge, I don't want to be a gossip rag here, but I think she may have had a relationship with Pharrell. So if you have any kind of fit, you know, uh, personal, physical or any kind of relationship with somebody and you trust that they're telling you that this is how business is done because such and such is industry standard or what could have, you know, a lot of those different things happen when you're working together. Uh, we, we really don't know so, uh, it, what she experienced. So the one thing that I do wish Kaylee's had not have said, because I do feel it made the difference. She used the words Beyonce is a thief. And like I said, my mom is a Virgo. That was done right there. There was no further discussion to be had. So all of my dreams of seeing Kaylee and Beyonce together to Kipper's, you know, description, that was out the window. But I do think that she spoke from a place of legitimate frustration, legitimate pain, anger. Uh, I don't know if one of you know for sure. Somebody mentioned to me that she may have just lost her husband. And one of the uh, the the curses and the blessings of social media is its immediacy. So if you, you, you know, I, I, if, if somebody doesn't take your phone in a moment when you are venting, <laughs> yeah, can I just stop there? Yes. Well, <laughs> well absolutely. Yeah. I said, God, God bless them both. Um, but I have a very special place in my heart for artists and producers and writers who've experienced things like what Kipper experienced with this person who is still attached to his business. Well, it's it's traumatic. It's absolutely traumatic. And um, I have I have no problem telling you one of the reasons I diversified my career early on is because I did not like how unnecessarily complex the music business was. I did not appreciate certain people telling me on one hand, oh, artists should know the business. And then if I ask questions, tell me that I, you know, oh, well, you just need to worry about singing. I was like, so which, which is it? Yeah. yeah. You got some time to talk about this Diane Warren thing, because when you talk about jumping into the fray, uh, she put up a tweet uh, not long after this whole thing jumped off. And she asked, uh, how can there be 24 writers on one song? I'm paraphrasing. And then she put sort of a, a eye roll emoji to it. And there were some people that has that took issue with that. Of course, the beehive uh, famously referred to affectionately termed the, the fans of Beyonce. They had something to say about it. They got active. They mobilized. And then, of course, the dream himself spoke to it. And um, he basically asked her to stand down. And she has since apologized. Uh, and by the way, uh, Beyonce has removed those things, as Janine was alluding to earlier. And um, can you speak to the Diane Warren thing before we let you go, good brother? What, in what ways did she step on people's toes if she did? Uh, what's the issue regarding free speech? She can't ask the question. Was it a legitimate question, you know, uttered in good faith or was it shade? Uh, what are your thoughts on the whole Diane Warren piece of this? It is certainly a legitimate question, but you better have your big girl panties on when you come in that room. This, this is the thing. Um, during the Black Lives Matter, uh, um, uprising in 2020, um, there were a lot of white folks who wanted to know how they could help, how they could be a part, how they could ally, how they could um, 
just, you know, assist in changing the hearts and minds of other people and all of that kind of thing and just be a part of the cause, right? Mm -hmm. um, I have a, a dear friend who I do a lot of voter registration work here, um, Shannon Clawson, who's a, she's a white girl, but she's, she is so down. And she, he told this one white girl, she said, listen, if you want to help, girl, go get some water and help these people while we out here marching in the street. Mm -hmm. That's what you can do. Mm -hmm. Shut your mouth and go get some water. Mm -hmm. um, this thing with Diane Warren um, just took me to this place of mind your business. This is um, hip hop and the whole hip hop phenomena started the big sampling thing, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where the whole phenomena of sampling came in. As I explained earlier, that's how you can get 15, 20 writers on one song. So it's a hip hop phenomenon. I'm not mad at Diane Warren. She is one of the most successful songwriters ever in the history of songwriting. I went down her list the other day on Wikipedia. It's three or four pages. Girl is crazy prolific. Um, but it's everybody from Aerosmith to Celine Dion to, there was a time in the 90s when if you, even if you were a black artist, they would tell you, we got to get a Diane Warren song on your album to cross it over. Mm -hmm. Period. I mean, that's who she is. Mm -hmm. But Diane Warren writes ballads and that kind of thing. She's not a, you know, she ain't a groove writer. She's not, she's not even a singer. So she writes songs and then gives them to other people to sing. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was kind of shady for her to say that because you know good and damn well how you got 24 writers on one song. Um, and so, yeah, I'm kind of glad she got checked. Um, it's kind of... I'm gonna say this, it's kind of like white folks telling black folks what to do. Don't do that. Mm. That's why I said, it's kind of like get your, get, help give somebody a bottle of water and stand on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. Don't get in that conversation. Uh, anything you can leave us with, uh, final thoughts, any projects we can look out for coming from you in the near future? I am readying a project on these two young ladies that live here in uh, Decatur where it's greater. They're here in Atlanta, um, uh, Sheree and Sharita Murphy. They're called the Black Bettys, and they are just incredible. Um, I've done one, we did a, a test balloon uh, last fall, a song called You Belong to Me, but we're readying an EP to, to put out on them. You'll find them singing with Regina Bell, Keith Sweat, Glenn Jones, T-Pain. I mean, they're like background vocalists for everybody around, but mm -hmm. they're incredible vocalists on their own. So that, look out for the Black Bettys project coming. And what's the best way for people to find you if they want to uh, track that? Thank you so much, because I wanted to say that. <laughs> but my website is kipperjones.com, real simple. Um, and you can reach me at unclekipper at Gmail. Uncle, I'm Uncle Kipper everywhere. I'm Uncle Kipper at Instagram, Facebook. Um, you know, I'm Uncle Kipper in the world. In these streets, I'm Uncle Kipper. That's who they know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of Psychotic Bump School. Uh, we're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time, and it repeats again on Friday evenings from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific time. Check back with us. We shall return next week. Also want to thank our very, very special guest for the evening, Mr. A. Scott Galloway, Janine Coveney, Juliana J. Bowden, and of course, the good brother, Mr. Kipper Jones. Also want to send a very, very special shout out to Mr. Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care.